we think that this sense of rigidity and control is what's going to keep us feeling safe and what is going to keep us feeling on this path of happiness in our life. But actually, it's when you release that control that you get that true sense of freedom. Welcome back to the Recalibrate Podcast, a series of conversations and ideas that connect us more deeply to others and therefore ourselves. Each episode is designed to help you reflect and reconnect, leaving you feeling inspired to make positive change on your path towards a more purpose-driven life. On today's episode, I am so excited to have Iman on the podcast. Iman is a self-liberation coach. She designs healing experiences. She makes art and she just beautifully captures what it is to be human. She gives so many practical techniques that help you start to build a home within yourself. And this conversation felt like an absolute hug to my heart. Now, you may have seen Iman on TikTok, which is where I found her, where she had this viral visualization of coming home to yourself. If you haven't seen it, it is absolutely transformative. I will link it down below. It was just such a treat to have her on the podcast today and to dive into some of these concepts more deeply with her. I know you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. Before listening, if you could go ahead and rate the podcast wherever you listen to it, that would be super, super helpful. And follow us on Instagram at recalibrate.podcast so that you can stay connected. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I am so, so, so excited for today's episode. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself when we get started? Yes. My name is Iman. I am someone who designs experiences. I am a certified coach and I've been practicing sharing some of my journey of life on the internet. Yeah, I first saw your content maybe a couple months back. And the first thing I saw on your page was actually about Tara Brock. I think I got to you on your feed because I love Tara Brock. And then I started going through the rest of your content and just resonated so deeply with me. You're so beautifully spoken and the way that you create these visualizations for people is amazing. So I am so grateful that you're on the podcast today. I was just gushing over you before we hit record. (laughs) No, I'm super grateful. This this is amazing. I'm excited for this conversation. For those who haven't heard of Tara Brock, basically she's a mindfulness teacher that focuses on this concept around radical acceptance is a book she wrote. And it's about shame and accepting these different parts of yourself and coming to terms with the fact that there is nothing wrong with you. And a lot of us have this belief that there's something inherently wrong with us, that there's something that we need to hide, or we have these painful emotions that we need to repress. And work that I've done with reading the book and finding meditation through Tara has been so helpful in addressing those parts of myself. But I'm curious about your experience and how you found Tara and how she has impacted your beliefs around this. Very similar to yours. I was introduced to her by my trauma coach. I did a coaching program where I was being coached and it was around trauma, how trauma lives in your body, how it manifests in your life, kind of an alternative approach to the very cognitive, cerebral, brain-focused approach that I often see in the, you know, therapeutic landscape. And that coach, she was incredible. She recommended Tara Brock to me. She actually recommended her loving kindness meditation. Mm. And that was my introduction. And also recommended the book, which I ordered immediately. And similar to you, I always say her book is probably one of the only that in the past five years I've read and immediately was able to see an impact in my lived experience. You know how sometimes you read Mm. books and it's like, oh yeah, like intellectually, yeah, I'm being expanded or this makes sense, you know? But in terms of your lived experience, you don't necessarily see a shift. This felt different. I would read something and then 
experience pain differently, experience suffering differently. And to what you said about accepting all of ourselves, I feel like she does such a great job of explaining in such simple terms and such easy to grasp terms, that idea of acceptance of ourselves and of everything that we go through, whether it's, you know, her, the way that she'll get you through a meditation and talk about the sensations in your body and how you have, you can accept all the sensations. You can also accept that the sensations themselves will change. You know, it's just a night, a, a presentation of acceptance and a breadth of acceptance that I hadn't really been exposed to in that way before. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think sometimes we repress a lot of the emotions because they feel too big for us to handle, or they feel so scary that we don't let ourselves feel them on that deep of a level. And I've experienced through her meditations too. And so the first video I ever saw of yours was putting your head in the mouth of the monster, which was a concept that really resonated with me. And then I saw it on your page and I was like, oh, I love this video so much. That concept basically means like anything that is scary to you or that you're kind of like letting it poke you and you're you're not addressing it and you're just pushing it away and pushing it away and distracting and numbing actually going there and and sitting with that emotion and going into the monster and really addressing it and being like all right I'm going to do this thing because I feel like this term of acceptance is misunderstood like people think that I'm just going to pretend like everything's fine and like this toxic positivity mindset, which she really explains well of acceptance isn't just pretending everything is fine. It's really addressing those emotions and using what comes up as a teacher, like you said. A hundred percent. Yeah. Hearing you say that, it reminded me of Eckhart Tolle's book as well, mm. um, The Power of Now, because he talks about acceptance as well. And I think he did a really great job of separating maybe the conception that we can have of the term acceptance in this context. And he says it along the lines of acceptance is not passivity. It's not saying okay to everything. It's not being a doormat. It's not condoning everything that may be happening. It's just accepting that it is happening. And then from there, deciding how you want to respond, which I thought was super cool because, yeah, to your point, there is a heavy connotation to the term acceptance itself that gives a passive energy that may not feel good when we're feeling so much misalignment to something that might be happening. So mm. yeah, definitely found that, that distinction helpful when I was trying to understand this acceptance. Yeah, of course. I love that you brought that up because if you're feeling super uncomfortable in your life, obviously acceptance doesn't sound attractive to you. You want to move away from the place that you're at. Acceptance almost has this connotation with defeat or just like giving up. But actually, it's not a passive thing. It's a very active thing to really sit with your feelings and drop into your body. And I love how you put it in your video. You were like, instead of intellectualizing your feelings of why am I feeling this way? What's wrong with me? How do I fix it? All of these ideas that create resistance to the emotion, just feel the emotion. And then the experience when you drop in and like actually sit with your emotion, maybe it's not as bad as you thought. And maybe it is as bad as you thought, but then you have more awareness on how you can move forward with that. And you talked about this sense of relief that you felt when you were able to do that. Yes. You know, what you said about sitting with the emotions so that we can release it or accept it or understand it better. That's also something that I had to work on. This is something that I talk a lot about with my clients because mm -hmm. being such a driver in our life, like learning to navigate life by driving it, whether that's setting goals, being clear about what we want, having the motivation, the energy, the drive to pursue those things, to like engineer 
what we want our life to look like, making it happen. One side effect that I've, that I've seen from that is that it can be hard for us to just do things without expectations, mm -hmm. to just do things for the sake of doing the thing. We tend to develop that um, association between something that we're doing and the result. It's like doing things as a means to an end. And it, I'm not painting us as like opportunists or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's just that often I see it more tied to survival, if anything, where it's like, oh, I'm going to do this thing so that at the end I get that thing that's going to make me okay, that's going to make me safe, whatever that means, acceptance, financial security, whatever it is. And in that practice of sitting with emotions, that, that's something that I've had to work on where I would have to sit with the emotion without any guarantees that at the end of it, I would understand it better. I would be able to release it, right? It's like, you just have to put your hand in the mouth of the monster and see what <laughs> you, you know, you're not in control of what the outcome is. And there's such a surrender moment in that, especially mm. when the emotion that you're sitting with is very big. Maybe it's super old as well. So you've been scared of it. It's not just something that just popped up and you're like, oh, what's this? You know, maybe it's something that you've been scared of, like a monster that's been looming in your life for a while. And so it takes a lot to even be willing to sit with it, especially when you don't know what you're getting at the end of it or like where this is going to lead you. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you talked about too, giving yourself space to experience that emotion often has brought you downloads of understanding like what is that emotion here to tell you? So instead of being like, oh, let me push this emotion away and I don't want to feel it and it's too big for me to feel. Instead, just gaining a deeper sense of awareness of why am I feeling this emotion? Maybe like you said, it is something that's older and like, why is this still perpetuating in my life? What can I learn from this emotion instead of trying to fix it or solve a, a problem or get to a certain outcome? Yeah. And even further than that, those understandings that I got, because I, I didn't know coming in that mm. they were going to happen. I didn't really know what to expect. It feels even more detached. And what I mean by that is, when I look back on that experience, I gained so much from it and it feels less like, oh my gosh, I gained so much insight and more <clears> like, wow, I got to sit with that thing and understand it better, you know? Mm -hmm. And the way that I would contrast the two is if you go to meet somebody and have coffee with them to like pick their brain, you know, <laughs> and like you have questions that you want answered, you have things that you want to know by the end of it versus just meeting somebody at a coffee shop and sharing openly and vulnerably, mutually. Mm. And by the end of it, you're like, wow, I have a deeper knowing into this person. Like I got to see this person. And it's not even like you're taking anything away from it necessarily. Like, oh, now I know this or now I understand this. It's just, wow, like I got the experience of really being with that person in a very open way. And I'm not going to lie, like I'm grateful for the instant because <laughs> I still like to understand things, you know? It's just, it was interesting to feel so much, I guess, detachment from the mm. outcome of the progress. Like, oh, is this going to help me fix that thing that I've been wanting to fix? Or is this going to help me make the monster less scary? And just be like, wow, that was an experience. Mm -hmm. I love that reframe. Yeah, going into it with just openness, no expectation, complete detachment of the outcome. You're not going into, you know, a coffee date with a, a new friend being like, ah, oh, 
I can't wait for like all these things that I'm going to get from them. You're just going into it with this openness to a new experience and you have no idea what you're going to get out of it. And maybe you get nothing out of it. Maybe you meet them and you're like, ah, it wasn't for me. I don't I don't vibe with them. We're not going to hang out again. And that can happen when you sit with your emotions, too. But there's many different ways that it can go for sure. Feeling and sitting with the emotions, what does that look like for you? Because if you've never done it before, it's hard to conceptualize what does this practice actually look like in in real life? Yes. I'm I'm laughing because when the conversation started to get bigger around feeling your emotions, I remember being very skeptical. Yeah, you're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I have a couple ways that I like to approach it. And I I've made those uh, techniques up based on what felt most uh, helpful and supportive for me. So this is by no means men- meant to be prescriptive. I don't think there's one right way or mm. any right way to do this. Things that I've found helpful are to one, be mindful of how I use my mind because I have a tendency to intellectualize things. I like to understand things. So if I'm not careful, as soon as there's a kernel of information, <laughs> I'm going to go all in on it and be like, okay, why? How? What does this mean? You know? So I try to be mindful of that. And the way that I do that is that I settle my body. So I'll sit down or lie down so that my body isn't doing anything. And then I'll use my mind very consciously just at the beginning to bring up the feeling that I'm trying to tune into. And I do this, whether it's like bringing up a memory or bringing up a sound or an image that helps me connect with that emotion that I'm trying to sit with. And then once I've got it, I turn the mind off. And I just go into the body and I notice the sensations that my body is feeling. And, you know, similar to what Tara Brock recommends or guides us to do, I look at those sensations as something that is going to change. I just listen. I just observe. I'm not attached to, oh, there's a tingling in my shoulder. What might that mean? It's just, okay, there's a tingling in my shoulder. And maybe in two minutes, it's going to be gone and there's going to be nothing for a bit. And then there's going to be something else. So it's just that listener perspective. Again, refraining from trying to control the emotion, control the experience, you know, or get something from the experience. But that's basically the, the, the most basic flow is settling the body, using the mind to bring up the emotion and then going into the body to notice the, the changing sensations. And then from there, I just let, let myself be carried because that experience that I shared that you were referring to with the downloads and everything, mm-hmm. as I was focusing on the, the bodily sensation, They just came and I just went with them. I didn't resist them. I didn't try to encourage them. I just surfed the wave. Like I like that analogy because surfing the wave, you're not making the wave. You're just surfing it. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's what I did. And something that I do sometimes when I need a little help or when what I'm feeling is very overwhelming or when I can feel like the emotion that I'm trying to sit with needs to be coaxed a bit. You know, when you get that feeling where you sit with it and you can tell that it's not super comfortable with (laughs) sitting with you yet. And so in those cases, I'll do the same process. I'll just do a little bit more work around making the emotion feel safe to be with me. And ironically, it also helps me feel safer (laughs) to feel the emotion because sometimes it's scary, you know, but I use visuals for this. I use sounds. I use touch. And the visuals can look like, for example, say the emotion that you're feeling, the sensations you're feeling in your body feel like a huge corset around your heart. And it's like a a corset that's made of cement. It's really hard. You feel like you can't take it off. It's really restrictive and it kind of hurts. Then I'll picture that visually and I'll picture around the corset that's around the heart. I'll picture like pink clouds. You know, and to me, that symbolizes compassion. So 
is just surrounding this painful experience with compassion, with all of the love that I can muster energetically, physically, mentally, all of it. Sometimes I'll use touch as well. Like if it's around my heart, for example, I can use my hand and gently rub and use my words to calm it down, calm the emotion down, almost like I would a toddler that is crying. And that's, a, I think, a recommendation that I got from one of Tara Brat's meditation where she says, I see your suffering. I care about this suffering and gentle words that will help ease mm. the tension around the emotion. So those are a couple of things I found helpful. Mm, I love that. It feels so comforting even just hearing you say that. And I love how personalized it can be. Those are things that feel really nurturing and compassionate to you to help you feel safe. But everyone has their own version of what that could look like. And it's super imaginative to play around with it and see like what helps, what doesn't help, what makes people feel that sense of ease within their own body. So I think it's really helpful that you were able to walk through that. Exactly. And I love that you use the word play with it because it, it sounds like a paradox, but playfulness has been such a big part of this practice for me. Just the idea of coming up with those visualizations, right? Or suggesting exercises that root into role play or imagining things. I mean, it feels <laughs> a little bit like like child play to some extent. We're just giving ourselves the space to make it up as we go. It has elements of play. And I found that as I became more intentional about cultivating a sense of play in my life and not mm. just, I don't even know what the opposite of that sense of play would be, but just that, you know, the, the sternness and the seriousness. Rigidity approach. and authoritative. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's also tied to the attachment to results because in that journey of cultivating play, one thing I realized is that I was struggling to not feel in control with the result. Like, mm. for example... I started a practice of doodling feelings and that started because I have always loved having a, a creative thing going on in my life and I'm not attached to what it looked like. When I was 14, I was making my clothes and then when I was like 21, I started teaching myself 3D modeling and I just like to learn and I like to create and it looks very different from one moment to another and it's the constant in my life. And when I graduated from my master's, which was the best three years of my life because I got to learn and create so much in such expansive ways. Um, when I got out of that environment and started working full time again, I felt so jarred. I felt so, oh, I felt so dry. I felt like a wilting plant in like a dry ass soil. Mm, the contrast was very stark. And so I started to ask myself, how can I have a creative practice, even though I'm not in school anymore in, in that environment where all you do is projects. All you do is create and put in the world what you want to put in the world. And instead, you're in an environment where you have to meet business deadlines, OKRs and business objectives. <laughs> and that's what, where a lot of your creativity is channeled, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I started being really intentional about having that time to create. And I realized how easily it could turn into work for me because I went so hard with it. I was teaching myself 3D modeling, which is a steep learning curve. There's a lot to learn. And also, I was very intense with it. Like I made myself a routine where I would have to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and work nonstop, like do online courses nonstop on the weekends. It was very obvious to me how, how smoothly and easily this turned from, oh, this is something I'm curious about. This is something I'm excited to play with, to something like the army, <laughs> something very hard and rigid <laughs> and taxing and demanding. 
So when you think of those emotions and sit, sitting with those emotions, I mean, a lot of it is very, can be very scary. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind isn't play for me, but there is an element of playfulness that just, yeah, keeps you up. Yeah, I love that you share that. I think it's interesting, right? Because we think that this sense of rigidity and control is what's going to keep us feeling safe and what is going to keep us feeling on this path of happiness in our life. But actually, it's when you release that control that you get that true sense of freedom. And the ways that you can start to do that is by implementing different things like play into your routine, which at first sounds counterintuitive, like you mentioned, but then actually does help you start to create this sense of safety. I love how you talked about helping the feelings feel safe with you and then in turn how that creates safety for you to experience those feelings. And so much of the work that you do around self-liberation and with your clients and in your courses is to help people feel safe being themselves, like full, raw, authentic version of themselves. Can we talk a little bit about that and how you start to work with that in your clients? What does that even mean? Like, how do you even start to feel safe within your body? Oh, it's just such a vast practice. And I can't even say that I know all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still very much learning and there's so much variance to it. It's it's truly a journey. Like the way that I see it, I see this as a practice. I keep using that word because it, it has to be a practice. I see it as a garden that we're going to cultivate from the moment we decide to be intentional about it until the, the end of our lives. It's mm-hmm. um, There's so much to learn. I will say what I found most helpful in this journey first would be awareness just realizing all the ways that we're not being a friend to ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know? And I shared recently like a visualization that I've been using to conceptualize that idea of coming home to ourselves, of having a relationship with ourselves that feels friendly and in a world that feels accepting, loving, kind, patient. Like you can expect to find love there. And That's been a huge part of the journey for me to realize when I'm not showing up in that way, to -hmm. realize all the the aspects of my relationship with myself and with life that are rooted in fear and not in love. And also being aware of the areas that I have control over with my intention to cultivate that sense of love and nurture and acceptance and gentleness and patience instead of defaulting to the fearful coping mechanisms that I've learned. So awareness is one, compassion, close second. And (laughs) compassion mixed with consistency. It's practicing compassion with consistency. I love thinking about this whole thing as a relationship we may have with a parent because it, it makes it very clear in my mind. When you think of yourself, right? And maybe you think of yourself as like a six-year-old. It's easier to connect with the Mm. the more vulnerable parts of us and maybe the parts of us that are less hard and softer and more tender. Imagine that six-year-old being taken care of by the most perfect parent that you can imagine, that you can compute in your mind, right? That parent is responsible, consistent, kind, patient, loving, encouraging, caring, nurturing, all of those things, right? And they show up like this consistently. That's the kind of relationship that I want to cultivate with myself. And the root of that is compassion, right? And it doesn't mean compassion as like, similar to what we were talking about with acceptance, it doesn't mean compassion as 
oh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> oh, you know, whatever. You're just perfect. I mean, on some level, I do believe that we're perfect. Not perfection as in like checking boxes, but perfect as in like complete. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find really interesting is the intersection between that compassion, that unlimited compassion, as in no matter what you do, you can still be met with compassion and intention. Where when you, again, when you go back to that image of the ideal parent, like as in the parent we wish we had growing up, that parent would probably not let you eat greasy fast food every day, right? Because they care about you. And part of their responsibility as a parent and as a caregiver would be to make sure that they give you the nourishment that helps your body be in its best expression. And so I see that as an example of that blend of intention and compassion, where it's like, you can be kind about it. You don't have to be like, right, you need to eat vegetables. (laughs) You can be kind and playful and gentle about it and still be intentional about, we're going to eat foods that make us feel good. And so that's the kind of relationship that I, I think is core to us feeling safe within ourselves. Yeah, that consistency piece is so important because if you're just chaotically showing up in a different way every single day. Like one day you're really nourishing and gentle with yourself. And the next day you're super hard on yourself and you're just beating yourself up and being terrible. And you kind of oscillate back and forth between these dynamics and it's unpredictable. It doesn't create that sense of safety. Imagine if you had a friend like that, like one day they were super nice to you and then one day they were an absolute bitch to you. Like you would just be like, I don't feel safe with this person. And when you do that to yourself, which a lot of us do, it creates this sense of not feeling at home within our own bodies. So I think it's really healing to picture that younger version of yourself or try to unlearn these behaviors by reparenting your inner child, basically thinking through that ideal parent scenario. I think it's so profound to be able to develop that consistency and compassion for yourself. The visualization that you were just mentioning, I've seen and I know over a million other people have seen on your TikTok because it was the most beautiful video I've ever seen. It's probably one of my favorite videos I've ever seen on that app. It was this visualization of coming home to yourself and you basically walk through and you get to this house after being like cold and tired and hungry and you open the door and you see these people that are waiting for you and they're all of these different versions of yourself that are just like so excited to see you. And some of the comments on these videos I was looking at today, and it was like people bawling their eyes out. Someone wrote like, this just changed me. I've been searching for that in others, but it's within myself. I deserve to be loved. Just like so many profound comments from these people that you've touched. How did you come up with that visualization? Like, also, I will link it. Everyone that hasn't heard it needs to go listen to it immediately after listening to this episode. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, that that's one of the things we were talking about earlier on, right? Like sharing something that's so vulnerable and close to your heart and then meeting connection. I can almost feeling like a heart to heart with strangers and people that you don't know. And that's been such a beautiful experience that I'm so grateful for. And it's, yeah, it's teaching me a lot about openness. I, I do think that at the time that it came up, I was starting to realize how unsafe I felt in life in general and that that I wasn't familiar with the sense of safety. I could conceptualize safety like intellectually, like conceptually with my brain, but I was struggling to connect with the feeling. And so I think maybe that image just came up as a way to connect with that. I tend to work with images. Images help me feel things and help me expand my 
perceptions and experiences of things beyond what I've known in the past. And so that's why a lot of what I share is comes in images because that's what supports me a lot. I love that. And I feel I'm always able to imagine the things that you're talking about because you use such beautiful like adjectives to describe things. You always are describing things about like juicy and honey and all of these like amazing words that just resonate so deeply with me. So I love that. I imagine these things are coming up for you because it's something that you're also dealing with. How has your relationship changed from feeling unsafe in, in your body and in your situation to where you are now? What was that experience like for you creating your own sense of safety to then now being able to help other people develop that? Yeah, it's definitely been that image of cultivating the garden. Like at first, mm. it was that awareness of realizing that the garden was there, but that it was barren. There was nothing there. You know, I couldn't even <laughs> conceptualize what it meant to be safe. But I, I was also just realizing that I had never really felt safe, whether it's within myself or in my relationships to others or in my in my conception of my place in the world, it was always rooted in fear and lack and having to escape that towards something smoother, towards that elusive sense <laughs> of safety. And so, yeah, when I started this practice, I didn't really know even what it looked like. I just knew that there was work to be done, that there was space to, to grow and to explore in that area. And so... That's why I got creative and playful with all of these practices that I often share in my videos. Those are things that I came up with to start cultivating the garden. It was mm -hmm. like, okay, I have no idea what feeling safe is like, but let me see if I can connect with it or explore it, nurture it, coax it out, doing all of these practices, some of which can seem a little silly at first. I think if somebody had told me like 10 years ago, oh, you know, you're going to talk to yourself out loud with like loving words as like a fun big sibling would talk to you. I would be like, what the fuck, you know, but <laughs> this is where we landed. <laughs> and so this practicing those things again and again and again, and also finding compassion for myself when I'm not showing up in those ways, because we were talking about consistency earlier. And one person that I really love that I met on TikTok. Her name is Anna. We had a call one day and one, one of the, the things, things we, we talked, talked about, about was consistency. And she said to me, okay, what if you saw consistency not as something you do every day without fail, like not as something that you show up 100% of the time in, but more as something that you come back to. I love that definition. And this is what I mean when I say coming back to compassion consistently. It's like sometimes we're not going to be compassionate because a lot of us don't even know what that looks like to be compassionate consistently. A lot of us have never seen it. A lot of us have experienced that back and forth, that hot and cold, where maybe we had a caregiver or like friends who would be super warm one moment and then be really hurtful and dismissive other times that we wouldn't really know what to expect. And so just coming back to it, going back to that definition of consistency, giving ourselves the space to return to it again and again and cultivating that little garden, letting those things grow as they may. I love how you even just reframed that definition of consistency instead of it being that first thing of really rigid and structured and like every single day you must do this thing to be consistent. You completely changed it to be like, no, actually, consistency just means even if I stray away from it, I have enough self-trust to know that I'm going to come back to it. And I'm going to continually practice this return back to self, return back to compassion and, and being gentle and nurturing. Even just that reframe creates a completely different experience for someone. 
Exactly. And that's why I keep going back to the word, the term practice and that image of the garden, because it really reminds me of that. If you have a garden and you start a garden today, just because you forget about it for a week doesn't mean that you can come back to it and then grow fantastic plants. <laughs> um, so it helps me kind of navigate or manage the perfectionism that can come from like missing a day of the streak or like yeah not doing the thing perfectly every time a hundred percent yeah this plant back here i have forgotten to water many a time and she is still thriving so i i come back to her <laughs> yeah and you know what i grew to love that idea of a practice which was a journey because I love a good result. You know what I mean? And most people do. Also, like I was like that too. People are are scared to do things that don't lead to a productive outcome. Yes, 100%. And we're so encouraged to think in that way too, right? Like even when you look at how things are presented to us a lot of the times, like get this from this when I do this thing in 30 days, you know? No wonder. One way of seeing it that helped me ease into loving the alternative to that a little bit more is thinking of my really, really old self. For example, when I think of 90-year-old Iman, maybe she can't even walk anymore. I don't know, you know, but she's like old. And when she looks back on her life, I imagine her looking back on her life and smiling, feeling a heart so full, feeling like, wow, I did that well. I really did that well. What, what I see making her heart so full is not the result. It's not like, oh, I got super self-aware or, oh, I am like a 10 out of 10 on integrity. It's more, I spent my life cultivating my integrity. I was intentional about nurturing it, understanding it, exploring it. It's the gardening more than the garden. You know what I mean? And so that's helped me feel more at ease with the idea that, first of all, this is going to be a lifelong practice. I'm not sure there's a point in me being like, oh, I need to be super self-aware in like next year because then I want to do this and that or I want to feel super happy all the time in the next two years because then I want to do this and that it's like no like I'm going to be here hopefully for a while and I intend to practice this for the rest of my life so like where's the rush yeah a hundred percent I love that you brought that up because it's something I've thought a lot about this past year specifically and I was talking to my therapist about it and it's this transition between living a goals-based life and a values-based life. And I used to be in your camp 100% where like I was super hyper-productive. I was so focused on accomplishments and outcome and just like kept pushing myself and was never satisfied with the result. And over the past year, I've really transitioned to feeling at ease with a a values-based life, which is exactly what you talk about, focusing on the way that you're actually living your life rather than your list of accomplishments. Instead of focusing on your purpose or like finding this one thing that you must drive towards every single day, it's focusing on the way that you want to live your life, the way that you want to show up in the world every single day. And asking yourself, how can I show up in that way? And it's such a change in question where it's not like, what can I do to output more? What can I do to achieve this thing? It's like, how do I want to show up in my life? And what do I do to be that person? Yes, I Mm -hmm. love the way you said it. Mm -hmm. I so resonate with the way that you spoke to that. That idea of a value-based approach to life versus a result or achievement approach to life. I feel like that gives us so much more room and so much more of a sustainability to to that, right? Because if you look at it this way, say one of your values is creation, like 
bold creation. You want to be making things and sharing them openly. If you're at a stage of your life where you're experiencing severe depression, it might be really hard for you to produce and create and share as openly as you may when you're not experiencing depression. And so if you're looking at it from a result or achievement-based perspective, say, oh, I'm going to create something every day and post it, and you fall short on that achievement-based goal, then it might feel as if you're not living in the way that you're intending to live. But if you look at it from a values-based perspective, if, if that value is creation, then you have room to ask yourself the question of how can I create where I am now with the circumstances that I have now mm. versus holding yourself to a standard that may not be accessible to you at all times in your life, just because things change, whether it's like internally or externally, your circumstances, our levels of energy, what's available to us. So yeah, I love what you said. I'm curious if you're open to share, how did you get to those values? How did you discover what those values are to you that you intend to live? Mm, I love that question. Yeah, I think it was a lot of time spent with myself and really understanding who I was as a person when I stripped away all those layers of ego and what I wanted other people to think of me and how I wanted to be perceived. When I stopped focusing on like trying to please everyone and trying to morph myself into all these different versions so that every single person on planet Earth would think I was a good person and would like me. And I really just sat with myself and was like, what is important to me? What is meaningful to me? What are my unique strengths and offerings to the world? What makes me light up inside? And focusing on cultivating and thinking about that rather than what everyone else thought about me, that's when I started to develop what was important to me and where I started to actually feel the most confident in my sense of self when I stopped trying to people please and put everyone else's needs above my own. I felt like the most confident version of myself, which is funny because like I was doing that to, you know, develop some sense of confidence or assuredness from other people. But when I was able to take a step back and be like, no, actually, what do I want? What do I think? What is my way that I want to show up in the world? It doesn't have to be this prescribed thing from other people or what I feel like I should be doing. And starting to change those shoulds into like what actually feels good for me in this moment. That resonates <laughs> so much. So much. Because, you know, when you think of doing what feels good to us or understanding what lights us up, what feels good to us, what we want to cultivate, what we want less of. It seems very obvious. It sounds more obvious than it is because a lot of the time, the way that we learn to define ourselves or define the path that we want to follow is not based on this inquiry mm. and on that listening inside. It's based on almost reflecting what we see outside that we see as attractive, where it's like, oh, I want what this person has, or I love the way that this person is doing this thing. I want to do the same. And it's like, you might love what that person is doing <laughs> and love how they look doing them and how it seems to feel. And still, it might not feel good to you. So yeah, I, I do think that this questioning is way less obvious than it seems. And it's a real, at least for me, was something I had to learn to do because mm. there was a point where I didn't know, I couldn't really tell the shoulds from essence, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually was just listening to something this morning about our shadow selves and it was describing this concept of when we're younger, we learn pretty quickly what 
behaviors and personality traits get us acceptance and approval and achievement from other people? And then what parts of ourselves are not getting that same attention or result? And then what we do with that is we're like, all right, this part of me is not good enough. And this part of me is the one that I need to like go full throttle into. And that's how I'm going to show up in the world because I need to develop this sense of safety and approval and belonging, like the primitive needs that we feel as human beings to feel that tribe mentality and to not be rejected. And in doing that, we end up rejecting ourselves. It took me years to unlearn those parts of me that I was repressing because I felt like I was unworthy or not good enough or there was like all of these things that I just should be doing that didn't feel aligned with who I was as a person. It definitely wasn't an easy journey like you said but these past yeah year or two years have been super transformative in being able to sit with myself and get to know myself at a deeper level and create that space for safety to even come up in that way which it sounds like you've been doing a lot of as well. Yes. And it's funny to hear you speak to your experience, that journey, because I, it, it felt very similar to me and it still feels very similar to mm -hmm. me. And one of the ways that comes to mind was when I started cultivating my intuition, which I had kind of like detached and discarded because my, my mind, mind was what, what was, was going to get me to safety and to what I wanted to create in the world. The way was my mind. I feel very deeply. So the feelings were still there. I just wasn't necessarily listening. I wasn't really registering them. I didn't trust them. They probably didn't trust me. It was all in the mind for, for a very long time in terms of how I made my decisions, how I chose directions in life, how I saw my life unfold even. And I got to a point where, where I sat there, there like at what, maybe 27. And I was like, okay, well, I followed my brain for all this time. And the whole time I was praised for it, you know, from the outside, when you think of parents, friends of parents, you know, like older adults that would see me as a young person being like, I want to go do this. I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to, then I'm going to have this job and all those things. They were like, oh my gosh, so driven, so motivated. And so for me, that positive feedback, plus the sense of control that being so go, go, go gave me, it was positive reinforcement that that was the right way to live life. And yet, after years of doing that, I found myself <laughs> in a life situation generally where nothing was reflecting what I wanted. My friendships didn't look like the nourishing connection. My career felt so draining. You know, so mm -hmm. it was just like, okay, clearly we got a little problem with the strategy that we thought was <laughs> it. It's not it. And so... I started looking into intuition more and being like, okay, so if I'm not making all decisions with my mind, what am I making them with? And I was like, intuition, I started trying to connect with that where, for example, I left a job that I, that didn't feel aligned anymore. And I didn't have anything after that. I was just floating and trying to recenter and figure out what was next. And in that moment, I remember trying to reconnect with my intuition to figure out, okay, what do we do now? And it was crickets. I heard nothing. I was asking my intuition. I was doing the journaling. I was doing the, the sitting and asking questions. And there was nothing. And the way that I understand that is that for me, our intuition, our inner voice, our inner guidance is always there. It's just that sometimes we need to learn to hear it again. And we need to build a relationship of trust again with it. Because after years of dismissing it and being like, shut up, I'm going to run the show with my brain and you can go, you know, in the corner. Of course, it doesn't necessarily feel super vocal or super easy to access when I need it. And so this whole process of cultivating my reconnection with my intuition 
what what you shared really resonated because that's kind of how it felt. Mm. I had the same exact experience this past year of reconnecting with my intuition. And I remember the same thing, writing journal entries, being like, I just want to know what's right. Like, I have no intuition. I don't know. I feel so confused. I have no clarity. Someone tell me what to do. Like, I just could not get in touch with that inner knowing. Like, I felt nowhere to be found, the crickets, like you were saying. And I heard this quote that was like, you don't need more information you just you just need more and I was at this point where I was trying to outsource all of my decisions I was asking all my friends and my family and every blog podcast book anything to just be like what do I do in this scenario and nothing feels aligned I'm in this relationship that doesn't feel good I'm in this job that doesn't feel good what do I do at that time my intuition knew what I needed to do. Like I needed to end the relationship I was in. I needed to make changes with the places that I was surrounding myself in and the experiences that I was having. I needed, I needed to, to leave my job, my job, all of these, all of these things, things, but I wasn't ready but to do I that. Wasn't so my intuition was completely, to do that. completely being pushed to the side and I was ignoring it. And because I was ignoring it, like you said, it's, it's hard to access when you're like, all right, I'm ready now. I'm ready to do the thing. Where are you? Like you it's hard to, to cultivate that connection. And now I'm in a place where once I was ready to take those steps and move forward and make those decisions based on my deeper inner knowing after months, year of not listening to it, I'm in this place where I feel so at ease and have such a strong sense of intuition and deep inner knowing that feel crystal clear. But I remember being in a place a year ago where I was the first I was in a different universe from how I feel right now like my intuition and me were on other sides of the planet so I I completely resonate with what you said of this this journey to developing and hearing and listening your intuition and it's always there but it's really just you developing that sense of trust with yourself to to trust and know that you're going to be okay when you listen to that deep inner knowing yes I, I love the way you said it, because from your story, what I'm hearing is that the, the intuition was there. It was the listening that needed a little practice. Yeah. And once you took the steps to actually listen and listen actively, then it's almost like that relationship was repaired a little bit between you and your intuition, mm. which is beautiful. Kind of what we were talking about earlier of being so hard on ourselves and, and feeling like we're not able to be in touch with our intuition you had this video of saying we're less lost than we think, which I liked because it talks about that sense of knowing. And instead of focusing on we're so attached to this outcome or purpose or thing that we need to get to, it goes back to what is one way that you could live your life in the way that you want to show up today. And and you don't always have to feel like you're so behind or that you're not achieving your goals on this specific timeline that you made up anyway you know we are actually less lost if we're able to tap into that sense of nurturing and gentleness and and inner knowing that we keep referring to yeah and also openness and playfulness because that sense of being lost when I think of each time that I felt super lost in my life where you're like what is happening everything is unraveling something is wrong. That feeling of being lost is not necessarily about the location or where you are. For me, it was more about not knowing what comes next or not knowing what the end outcome is. And when I think about it in this way, 
I wasn't lost. I just didn't know what was going to come yet. It's like sometimes we feel like something is wrong because we don't know what's coming. You just are there and you're just here and that's okay. And so that's what I've been able to exist into more. So I feel like being lost is not about where you are. It's just about how, how attached you are to needing to know, you know? It makes me think of a conversation I had with my best friend who is so wise. <laughs> His name is David. And we were talking about intuition exactly at that time that I was describing where I was in this phase of creative destruction. It's like everything was falling apart. I was still following the strategy that I thought was the winning strategy. and Everything was crumbling. And I was like, okay, so what now? What are we, what are we doing? And so we were talking about intuition versus making decisions with the mind. And she said a pearl of wisdom that I carry with me still, where he said, I make decisions from my intuition, from my gut, and then I use my mind for the how, to figure out the how, not for the what. They have different roles. And that, I'm sure, it just really resonated. It's so simple, right? But it's also so different to most of the messaging that I've received in my life, you know, where it's like, oh, have you thought about it? Does it make sense? Did you do the pros and cons? And it's it's interesting because now that I've been intentional about bringing in my intuition in the decisions that I'm making, whether it's which tea I'm drinking in the morning or whether I want to move countries or not, I'm seeing how much that path of the brain and making decisions only with the brain, it's again, the illusion of safety. Because first of all, we don't control all the variables, right? Our brain has that limited perception of the variables. So even when we get the sense of safety, I did the pros and the cons. I talked to experts. It's like, yeah, you don't have the full picture regardless. Yeah, it's humbling because when you've been like navigating your entire life this way to realize that this certainty that we're getting, it doesn't come from that intellectual cerebral approach. It comes from our desires for safety and Mm. our desire for certainty. I was having this conversation with a client I think it was yesterday we were talking about splitting the psychological term of basically going into a state of being where you can only perceive one truth at a time. So say you are friends with somebody and you think that they are a great person, that they're a great friend overall, that maybe they have a couple of flaws and you love them for their flaws too. But maybe one day you're experiencing splitting and all you can see is the bad, the bad, quote unquote, in them. and we were talking about how splitting is something that everybody does and some people experience it more than others. For example, people with BPD tend to experience it more than others. And I was sharing how I was doing research on splitting and why we split. And, and I, don't I don't pretend to, to know, know the, one, the truth. one truth. But one thing and that I did one find thing in that my research that made so much sense to me that I think it applies way beyond the concept of splitting itself to that, to that wider search for certainty is that we split when uncertainty is too uncomfortable. So going back to that example of the friend, right? Say you have that friend, you know, they're a human, they have great side and maybe less great sides and you love them for all of it and it's all good. But one day they don't respond to your text maybe. And so now you think that they hate you, that they're probably a bad person, that they never really liked you, that maybe they're a little bit fake because you're in that like splitting frame of mind. And there's two main approaches, right? One being, okay, benefit of the doubt. That person is probably busy. They'll probably get back to me later. I don't know where they're up to. And I know that they're my friend. We're okay. It's all good, right? The other one being, oh, they hate me. They're a bitch. Sorry for for the language, but you know what I mean? 
just going into this this very set mind frame. And in the first mind frame where you give the benefit of the doubt, there is so much uncertainty there. It's like, oh, I don't know what they're doing. They might get back to me later. I don't know what's going through their mind, but I assume we're good. There's a lot of uncertainty there. Whereas in the alternative where it's like, oh, we're not friend anymore. They never really liked me. All of those are very certain terms and very certain statements. And so it was interesting to see how in those moments we might be creating those narratives or um, choosing those narratives because they feel safer than the uncertainty of the alternative. Mm, I love how you just framed that. That is such a good way to think about uncertainty and why we create different narratives. I've heard this with, let's say, the job example, right? Like you might be unhappy in your current job and for certain certain you're tolerating this level of discomfort. discomfort, And in a new new job, job, you could be happier, right? Obviously, but you could also be maybe less happy and have a different level of discomfort that you have to deal with. So you will stay in your current job out of that fear of what if it's worse? Like, I know I can tolerate this level, but I I don't know what will happen next. Even though there's that possibility of being better, there's also that possibility of being worse. And same thing with how you were just describing with a friend of if you create that narrative and that story of this is for sure why they're not answering, that leaves no room for that uncertainty. And you kind of just deal with whatever, even though that might not be the truth. But But it's it's funny funny how how our our brains play out out these these narratives when actually we could be a lot happier or experience a lot more ease or freedom when we just let it unfold as it's supposed to. And detach from the need to know or yeah. the need to understand, which can be really hard because that's, that's something, something that's, that's been humbling, humbling for me is, is to see all the areas in my life in which I was choosing certainty, even if it came with suffering, even if it came with misalignment, and even when it was unconscious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, choosing certainty over happiness. Damn, that is profound. It's like, where are the areas of of your life that you're choosing this sense of knowing over opportunity for more joy and more ease? You talked about in one of your videos, if you have this feeling of being discouraged or needing to know and trying to figure out this discrepancy and how you can close the gap between here and being there, we tend to focus on this part of our life that we don't have control over because there will always be the things that we can control and the things that we can't control. And for some reason, our brains always go to the things that we can't control. And I loved how you put it because you were like, if you focus on those things, that is basically just a recipe for you to be constantly disappointed and constantly frustrated that you're not making progress or being where you want to be instead of, again, Going back to like, okay, these are the things that are out of my control. How can I still show up with what I have in this moment? Yes. And I think this is where what you were talking about earlier, you know, this values-based way of living comes in real handy. (laughs) Because in this situation, you are not making the wave, right? The wave is taking you, all right? It's happening. All you're doing is surfing it and you can decide how you want to surf it. Like, okay, I just lost my job and I want to surf it with playfulness and experimentation. I want to give myself the opportunity to explore things that maybe I wouldn't have done if I still had a full-time job. That's the how. That's like a value-based approach of you choosing and using your intention to choose how you want to ride that wave without having the need to control what the wave is. 
when you're going to find a job again, if you're going to find a job again, and all of those things, Mm -hmm. which has been really helpful, honestly, because in terms of energy management, it's a lot of energy to try to control everything and to try to throw everything in advance and to try to engineer everything in advance and trying to predict how things are going to happen. So yeah, it's been really refreshing to be able to be in this wild situation and not being attached to knowing how it ends or knowing what it looks like in three months. It feels almost like an adrenaline rush of like, Mm. whoa, you know, like it actually feels like riding a wave. So yeah, yes, it's definitely a testament to all of the work that you've done to be able to show up in that way when things aren't easy like it's easy to show up in this way when everything in your life is perfect but then when you're able to put those practices into play when things are feeling out of control and uncomfortable that's huge to be so proud of the work that you've done yes yes and I want to be honest as well I want to be realistic and true to my experience because I don't mean to to make it seem like it's all roses and butterfly and I'm like, oh, yeah. cool like a cucumber all the time. <laughs> I don't want to portray the image of a situation where, oh, if you work on these things, you'll never feel stressed again. <laughs> I don't feel like that's fair to the human experience, you know? And sometimes we we think about it in these ways because it, it, it would be nice to never be stressed again. It feels nice to think in those utopian ways sometimes. And so I want to be transparent and real. And I think that that takes that practice even deeper where it's like, It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be roses and butterflies. And we can still choose compassion and we can still choose detachment, even in those moments. Even if you've just like cried yourself to sleep, it's okay. You can still be doing it. You can still be in it. Yeah. Thank you for being so honest with it. I completely resonate. And it's something I talk a lot about, like even when things are going really well, it's not just like, oh, just do all of these practices and then your life is perfect and you'll never feel stressed again. I still experience stress, anxiety, fear, discomfort all of the time. It's just that these practices help you build your tolerance to these emotions that come up and help you return back to yourself or or stay with yourself and and not go to those same depths as as before. So I think it's really just about building your tolerance to those emotions, not that those emotions never come up. Yeah. And that's where I find that the parent-child analogy applies as well. Because say you were to have a child, you can control what that child is going to do, what that child is going to become, how they're going to want to live their life. But you have control over how you respond to that. And I see this as similar. It's like the emotions they're going to be there. You know, there's going to be emotions. Some of them are going to be wild and have agency over how we respond to them. Yeah, I love that. This conversation has been so amazing. I literally could talk to you all night. This episode could go on for hours, but I appreciate you taking the time today. I hope that it brought as much comfort and nourishing energy as it did for me. Truly, this was an absolute gift to have you on the podcast. Is there anything that you want to share or anywhere where people can find you so that they can keep in touch with you and go look at all of your amazing videos and find your visualizations? Yes. And first, I want to thank you for having me. This was such a such a beautiful end to my day. Mm. I'm so grateful for the conversation that we had. And likewise, we could go on forever. That would be a cool concept, by the way. Like a, a podcast that just goes on. Like, right. The night and then. <laughs> You get a little delusional with the sleep deprivation. Oh, my gosh. Um, that could be a cool right? But yeah, this was beautiful. Thank you for having the space and having me in it. And where to find me? My handle is Iman, I-M-A-N, Sanj. 
S-A-N-J. And then I have my link in all of my social media accounts where you can find my website and my email and you can call me, beat me if you want to reach me. I love it. And you should definitely call her and beep her because she's amazing. (laughs) I have been following you for so long and I know the power of your videos, but I'm excited for everyone else to be able to find them as well. So thank you again so much. I will link everything down below. This is like one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on the podcast. It felt like just a hug to my soul. You're such a nourishing presence. I feel that. I feel the same way. Again, super grateful to have this time with you. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>